Hopefully this is a scene that you can revisit in your own home uh, as you create your traditions that is Christ-centered. Regardless of who is in your home, even if you're by yourself, uh, to have traditions of lifting up Christ for your own soul's sake. Uh, We're going to talk this morning about the fullness of grace. It is the theme that I've been uh, sharing with everyone is uh, throughout this Christmas season is the fullness. Uh, last week we, we looked at the, the fullness of time and how God worked in the fullness of time. And we saw there's two main purposes. There's the redemption uh, that is taking place in the fullness of time. That is the incarnation. That is what Christmas is about. Uh, but then we also saw uh, in last week there at the second main purpose of the fullness of time is to make all things united in Christ. Uh, and that is something yet to be done, uh, to be realized. And uh, there is the makings of it through the Spirit of God at work in our life today. And we talked about how Christians live in a divided world, has been divided, will be divided until Christ comes and establishes his reign. And those who are under the reign of Christ with the Holy Spirit We are to be influences of peace, and we talked about what that meant a little bit uh, in today's world in America, uh, where racism is taking center stage. Today, we're looking at the fullness of grace. The fullness of grace is found in John chapter 1, specifically in verse 14 through 18 is where we're going to find ourselves this morning. And, uh, you know, Christmas, if uh, anything, a time of fullness. Uh, I was thinking about that this past weekend. We were out uh, going to the mall, and it was full. Parking lots were full. Uh, We ate food, and we came back to my mom's, who they were finishing up their their Christmas party, and they had a bunch of food that I only get once a year. And I really couldn't get it because I was so full. And I was thinking, oh, this is a shame. She only makes this cheese ball once a year, and I can't eat any of it right now. I'm so full. Uh, they had these cookies and, and loaded baked potato soup. And, I, I mean, it was just, I couldn't eat one bit of it. Uh, ham biscuits, I couldn't eat one of them. I was, I was full. And then as we looked throughout this week and every night of this week and every night of this next week and all throughout the days, today is a full calendar, full schedule. Uh, and so that's, uh, fill that today and we'll fill it all throughout this week. And, and so if, if it, anything, it is a full time, but we have to fight and it is a fight. And if you're not fighting, that means you're losing. We have to fight to have the fullness of God in our every day in our life. God has made himself available, the fullness of God. We're going to talk about that a little bit more next week. But to say that my life, my mind, my heart is going to be filled with Christ. And this Christmas season is a battle. It is a battle God has called us to. And there is an ever-vigilant mindset that every follower of Jesus must have to say, I want my mind to be set upon Christ and his things, his way, his world. And so, we're going to talk a little bit about what God has given to us through Jesus Christ, the fullness of grace. 
the fullness of grace. And we're looking at really uh, a miracle and then the spring of miracles, uh, referring to the same one, the miracle and the spring of miracles. And so let's look at John chapter 1, this being God's word. I'm going to ask that we stand as we read John chapter 1, verse 14 through 18. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. And from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. You may be seated. John 1 verse 14 to me is the primary Christmas verse. It is succinctly put the incarnation. And I think I could spend every Christmas preaching on John 1.14, and I think I have done more than one Christmas talking about John 1.14, uh, of what it brings out. But I want to focus on this idea of fullness of grace, but it is all related to who Jesus is, and right from the beginning when he says that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, among men. Now if you think about it, the average person out there, if you just stopped in the mall, asked them, what do you think about Jesus, they would probably say some favorable things. In fact, the average person likes Jesus. They like the idea of Jesus. They like what they've heard about Jesus. They, they like this idea of someone who is bringing out peace, who loves people, who will sacrifice himself for others. They like the idea of that, and they like some of his teachings. The world would be a much better place in many people's minds if they would just take on some of the teachings of Jesus. But the average person thinks of Jesus as just a great person. But if you start pressing them more on the articles of faith, it's, it quickly becomes uncomfortable for them. They begin to get nervous. What are some of the major articles of faith? Well, for instance, uh, you know, not only that Jesus Christ did great deeds, but he did miracles. You get a little nervous if you bring out the idea, well, Jesus did miracles, real, bona fide, supernatural things then that's starting to say something about Jesus that might make them a little bit uncomfortable. Well, not only that, Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Well, not only that, Jesus Christ died and his death frees us from our sin today, even though that's 2,000 years later. And it makes it a completely different world. In fact, Jesus Christ also said, worship me. Now, when we start getting there, it seems like we've kind of left the Charlie Brown Christmas a little bit. Even though that's a pretty good one. You know, this is the whole reason for Christmas. And you know, Frontu is born in this day. And he quotes the, the narrative. Uh, and as long as we see Jesus in a the baby, then it's, it's okay. But when we start bringing out this idea that Jesus said, worship me, it's amazing how we stop to, or we start to lose a little interest from the people around us. The average person might not want to go there. But that is indeed what is happening. So when Jesus becomes flesh, or God takes on flesh, uh, it's not a miracle to say that Jesus was the Word. And it's not a miracle to say that Jesus was a man. 
But when we say that the Word became flesh, and we put those two sentences together, that's where we have problems. Fine, Jesus is the Word, Jesus is a man, but the Word became a man, that's a problem. You see, uh, back in Jesus' day, as it is in our day, there was the idea of, well, we can, we can become a God, we can, man can become a God, and we could have such things as, as the old Greek gods that might every once in a while have to take a little flirt with some human here on earth and create some God-man type being, i.e. Hercules. Uh, and so they, they didn't have an idea, they had no problem with some idea like that. Or if you went Eastern, uh, with Eastern religions, to say someone uh, just took enough of the godlike force so that they are godlike. For instance, uh, you know, I say Eastern, and a lot of us don't get that, but let me just say Star Wars, all right? Say, say uh, you know, there was a character that was into the story of Star Wars, and he wasn't just Yoda, all right? He wasn't just a, a Sith Dark Lord, I'm, and I'm talking to a certain segment, I know everyone's not there. <laughs> But those who are there are really there, okay? Uh, to, to say that a Star Wars character says, you know, I'm not just capitalizing on the Force. I am the Force become man. Then the Star Wars fan base would be blown away. Whoa! The Force became a human. Well, see, that's the idea that, <laughs> that Jesus is. That blows away Eastern religion. And so many even... You know, one of the things... Uh, we have quite a few folks around us in our preschool and in our society. They, they are uh, of Eastern religion. They're not just Hindu. They're not just Indian. They're New Age. Uh, one of the things I love, Miss um, Sylvia Matthews, I'll, I'll talk about her for a second. She's over at one of the Carillon centers off uh, Atlantic Avenue. And she called me up. She said, you know, there is a, a lady from India, and she wants me to talk to her about Jesus. I, help me here. <laughs> Help me, I, can you get me a, a Bible in the Gujarat dialect? I said, well, I'll work on that. <laughs> so, if any of y'all see a Gujarat dialect, New Testament, let me know. Uh, but here she is, you know, when you go to the sister living, I don't know what's in your mind, but I love the fact that in her mind is that she's sharing the gospel with someone that was born in Gujarat, India, and now in the latter years of their life, God has brought one person from North Carolina and another from Gujarat, India, and put them together. And she is wanting Miss Celia to tell her more about who Jesus is. Isn't that great? But the problem is that she's going to be thinking, okay, Jesus is really a good guru who takes in great amounts of this deity, this force. Okay, the thing is, is that John is saying that, that that's not how it is. The force became God. God became flesh. All right. And, and so there's the Eastern idea. And then there's the, the Western idea. It, it's kind of interesting. Um, the Avengers movie was these all these superhero guys coming together. And one of them was Thor, who is the, uh, you know, the ancient Greek God. Um, so it's interesting when Thor comes in, you got Captain America, who represents the, the American heroes from 1950, 1940s, World War II era. Interesting to watch them dialogue. Uh, one scene, uh, Thor flies off, and someone makes reference to Captain America about Thor. 
And, and Captain America responds, there's only one God, and I'm pretty sure he doesn't dress like that. <laughs> and I, you know, I, I think about that, I think that, yes, that captures a Christianized person who interacts with ancient Greek gods. And then there's, of course, Incredible Hulk who takes Loki and pounds him to the ground and walks him away and say, Puny God. One of the best lines of the whole movie, all right? Now, all that to say, why do I bring out these movie points? Because they do reflect major worldviews. Major worldviews that even was at play when Jesus walks this earth. There was the Eastern and there was the, the, uh, the Greek and the Roman gods. And so when John is writing this, you need to understand the dynamic that he's saying that the word became flesh. He's not talking about some uh, Odin-born uh, human, Thor. He's not talking about some uh, person, some guru. He's saying, no, God, who created all things, who has no beginning, took on humanity. The word became flesh. And so what you need to understand is that Jesus Fullness of grace and truth is the miracle of Christmas. If you can get along with John 1.14 and say God became a man, there is no limit to the miracles that can be done if that happens. He is the supreme overarching miracle of all of history. If Jesus is this, if word becomes flesh, If that is true, then the resurrection is a piece of cake. Walking on water is no big deal. uh, Calling a storm to be quiet is as a simple task for Jesus. Uh, And so if this is true, it is the primary miracle and it is the miracle on which everything depends on. It is, he is the fullness of grace, is the miracle of Christmas. Now, It is God contracted to a span, the incomprehensible made man, according to Charles Wesley and how he penned it. And so John says, and we have seen his glory. That is the the manifestation of the power and presence of God. John said, I've seen that. I've been there. I've been around Jesus, the glory as of the only Son from the Father. And some of your translation might say begotten of the Father. It's not saying that that God originated Jesus. That's not the idea. The idea of the word begotten is that Jesus is the same substance of the Father. Just as my son and my daughters are the same substance of me. I did not create another species. They are of the same of me. And so Jesus is of the same substance of God the Father. And so that's what we mean, that he is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The word grace is where you see in the Old Testament this kessed, this loving kindness, faithfulness, mercy of God. And Jesus is full of that. And he's full of truth, steadfastness, consistency, what is true. And so this is who Jesus is. He's got both the mercy and grace, the love and compassion with steadfastness, consistency with what is true, all together in one. John is saying, you know, when we saw Jesus, we saw someone that we've never seen before. He had such a combination that we don't see in anyone else. We have someone who has tenderness. 
yet does no weakness. He has strength, but yet he's not heavy-handed. He has humility, but he's not at all timid. He's firm, but yet unbending. He's unyielding uh, convictions, and yet he is so approachable. He has passion, but he doesn't have any prejudice in his life. He has power within him, but he's without insensitivity. Not a jarring note when you look at this one. How can one have such a, a mix of virtues within him? John is saying, and of his glory, we have seen. He is full of loving kindness, full of grace and truth. Now, that is the primary miracle. If you have this miracle, if you have the word made flesh, and you receive this one, you have the spring. You have the spring from which every miracle will come. If you do not have Jesus in your life, you have the spring for every judgment. For every judgment. Every judgment will be based on the fact that you knew Jesus, you heard of Jesus, and you rejected Jesus, or you did not seek him. If you receive Jesus Christ, then every promise of God is going to be fulfilled through Jesus. And so he has this idea of grace upon grace. And so let's look at that. Because from his fullness, we have all received. That's blue 16. From his fullness, we have all received grace from grace. It is good to receive something from someone who is really full. I had uh, someone, a friend of mine who was really wealthy. And he had a thing for shoes. And he had the same size as my foot. Well, it was great. I'd see him every once in a while. He said, hey, I got a bag for you. I was like, yeah. It'd be all these hiking boots. He had like five varieties. He said, I don't know. I tried them on. I just didn't like how they felt on me. I'll manage. <laughs> I'll manage, you know. Uh, and he came and he had dress shoes one time. I thought, hit the jackpot now, you know. Uh, and, and so when you have someone that has fullness and they want to give, it's such a blessing, isn't it? And that was great for shoes. But it didn't apply to cars. It didn't apply to houses. It didn't apply to other, right? Okay, so here Jesus is, fullness of grace and truth, the fullness of God. And in verse 16, he says, we have all received from his fullness. And so the question that's going to be asking of us, this full Jesus has so much grace, has so much truth. Have you tapped in to Jesus? Has he uh, invaded your life? Do you have a relationship with him that you can receive this grace and truth? John is saying we have. The question is, do you have that? And he goes and elaborates that a little bit. He says, for the law was given through Moses... Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Now, how does Moses fit into this? Well, John is talking about Moses here because Moses, up to this point, was the one major hero for the Jews. There are a lot of heroes, but he was the major one. He was the Old Testament guy. In fact, the Old Testament speaks of Exodus 33, verse 11, says that God spoke to Moses 
face to face as to a man. In other words, it wasn't that Jesus uh, or that God was seeing Moses and Moses was seeing God face to face, but the point of that was that they had human con- or they had interaction, communication one on one. They didn't need a priest or any other mediator, and so that was the point. But that was unique to Moses. But then that wasn't enough for Moses. In verse 13, Moses, Exodus 33, verse 13, he says, Show me now your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Moses said, It's not enough for you to, to be able to talk to me. I, show me your ways. I want to know you more. And then, just a, a little bit later, verse 17, 19, Moses prays, Please show me your glory. It's not enough for me to know your ways. It's not enough for for you and I to be talking. Show me your glory. So God reveals his grace and the backside of his glory and says this statement, no one can see my face. I will let you see the backsides of my glory. A, A shaded portion of the power and presence of God. So that was remarkable. And then the next thing that happens after this Revelation chapter 34 verse 1. God gives the Ten Commandments. So what is the product of this revelation of the glory of God to Moses? The law. The law. That is grace. It is not in contrast. It is a graceful thing that God did in giving the law. And so that's why John says grace upon grace. He gave us the law through Moses. However, he says, Moses is different from Jesus. We receive this law from Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Moses saw the backside of the glory of God, but no one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. The only God is referring now to Jesus, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known and so there's this contrast with moses who've only seen the backsides of god's glory with jesus who was uh one your king james might say in the bosom of the father which is to say of intimate contact with god the father one who is in close proximity for eternity he is now the one declaring or the word exegeting or narrating explaining to us god the father we'll never be able to see him face to face but jesus the closest we can get to God the Father has shown him to us and is explaining him to us. It's kind of like if you looked out in the sun. Last night was the, uh, the meteor shower. Some of you might have seen that. I did not. I was sleeping. <laughs> Heard about it. I'm sure it was wonderful. Uh, but you know, you go up and, and that's not too hard to see if it's cloudless. But to say, okay, let's study the sun that might prove to be a little bit of difficulty. Not only do you need a cloudy day, you need special lenses that will filter out because if you just look at the sun, it will burn your eyes and cause blind spots. And so we cannot see the sun apart from the filter. And so what, if we look at this and and what's being said here is that we cannot see God the Father, but Jesus is the filter for us to allow us to see who he is. And so we know God the Father because of Jesus. In fact, Jesus said, Whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. 
So, that is just the beginning of grace. He says, all right, if the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory, how do we know? Because we received his glory full of grace and truth. And Jesus is declaring him to us, grace upon grace. If you have Jesus, you have the beginning of God's gifting you that will be the basis for how God's going to gift you again. So many of you remember math. Some of you live in math. The whole idea of math is that it's based upon principle upon principle. You cannot forget first grade math and think that you're going to do algebra. And you cannot forget about algebra and think you're going to do geometry or physics or calculus or any other math-based science. It is based upon principle upon principle. And so, too, theology, knowing God, is based upon grace, not just law, but grace, what God has gifted you, that will multiply and grow into something else. And so that is the great tragedy when we reject obeying Jesus. We do not reject just one item. We reject a fountainhead of things we do not yet know of how God is going to multiply and bless us through that obedient act. And so when you receive Jesus Christ and you obey Jesus Christ, it becomes the basis of God's building in your life, revealing to you the glory of Christ. That's why baptism is a big deal. It's a simple act of obedience. But some of you learned that when you just followed through with baptism, something Jesus asked you to do, it became the basis for further blessing and knowing more of Jesus because obedience and grace begets obedience and grace. And so you start that chain going. Now, what I love about this is that Jesus is the one declaring God the Father. Why does that mean something to me? Well, have you ever had problems with your phone? You know, now it's all bundled together. If you have problems with your phone, you have problems with your TV, you have problems with the internet. That's happened to us uh, at least three or four times now. Do you know how frustrating it is to call your phone company on a phone that won't work? <laughs> like, is this, is this the, and then they ask you, is this the phone that you have problems with? No, <laughs> because I'm talking to you on the phone. But you know, what, you know what happens though is when you call them, you find some way to communicate and you never get a person. You get a machine, you get a computer. And you're like, oh, I don't know what option I want. And then I had problems with the phone calling them and they said you press these numbers and for some reason the numbers i was pressing wasn't registering into the computer like where i can't even press zero i can't press zero to give me an operator do you know how frustrating it is when you got these walls up and you have no way friends that is just a tip you think that's bad imagine getting to god when our sin is severed us completely from god we have no phone, we have no means whatsoever to get to God. And we may be frustrated, we may realize the problem that we have in life is a spiritual problem, but we can't do anything about it. Do you know why it's so important that God became flesh to dwell among us? It's kind of like that AT&T person saying, you know what, i tell you what, I'm just going to go to your house. And you're like, praise God, fix this. Because I can't do it. I'm going to come there. Now I'm going to talk to you. I'm going to come there and fix it for you. 
That is the Word becoming flesh. And how foolish is it to say, okay, great customer service, God, but I'm not really interested in that. Well, then who do you go to then when you reject Jesus and say, I've got problems with my life? You see, when Jesus is the Word becoming flesh, there's a lot of solutions and gifts God gives us. One of the gifts God gives us is purpose, rationale for life. The word word in John 1, it was a word commonly used among philosophers of that day. And it was the the logos. This is where we get the word logic. And so it's not just a, a, a single singular unit of communication. It was a rationale a reason, a goal, a purpose for life. And in the time that Jesus came onto the scene, the Greek philosophers had pretty much given up on the idea that there is one unifying idea for all of life. One universal. And so they kind of given up on this. And you see this in philosophy where they go back and forth whether life is about one universal or about the particulars. And so you've got the the Stoics who said, you know what, I don't really think there is a meaning in life. So we just live good, live controlled, live disciplined. And the face of the fact there is no meaning in life. And then you had the Epicureans who said, well, you know, we agree with you. There is no meaning in life. There is no rationale. So why don't we just have fun? And so you had these two forces at work in that day. And you still have those forces at work today. Still very much so. Jesus, and John, what's being said in John 1, is that there is a rationale. There is a purpose. There is a point in it all. We had a, um, a toy for uh, Evan's birthday, and, and it was one of these toys that you can change. It was, it was kind of like a transformer, uh, but not. And so it had all these things that you can maneuver and, and put together and and I love, get, I, love, I love his toys, all right? It's one of the great things about boy toys is like, you know, I always wanted one of those, and my parents didn't get one, and, and oh, yes, Evan, you got one of those, or, you know, let's, I think you need another one of those. And, and so, so part of the fun of that is trying to figure out how to put this together without looking at instructions. That just takes all away all the fun of it all. But every once in a while, you, you come to this point, like, I have no idea why this part has a little nodule on the side. It looks like it's meant for something, and I can't quite figure out. And so you have to resign yourself to looking, okay, maybe I can get some help here. That's, that's quitting, by the way, if you don't know. That, that's quitting. Um, but sometimes you do, and, you're in, and there are blessings for it sometimes. Uh, and so part of it is, oh, there is a rationale for this toy. There is a purpose and meaning. Can you imagine trying to explain a plunger? Just think about it. Just a simple thing. Uh, my brother-in-law got a, a gun plunger. Yeah. A gun plunger. Some of you have seen these things. and Some of you are going to be looking for these things. Uh, it's just, it looks like a, some kind of propulsion with a, a plunger on the end. Can you imagine trying to explain that to someone? They don't have toilets. <laughs> They're hunting things with this, you know. It's like, there, there needs to be a rationale. There needs to be a purpose. See, life can be like that. We're trying to figure things out on our five senses and we're limited. And what John 1 
verse 1 and verse 14 says is there is a rationale for life. There is a universal purpose for which life has been created. There is a word, a revelation from God, and it's something you can understand. It's living, it's breathing, it's something you can see and touch. It is word becoming flesh, something we can all get. There's a rationale. So that is one of the benefits of Christ. If you don't know Christ, you really have no rationale for why your life exists. You may have facades, but when interrogated and brought to the basis of why you do what you do, you're going to come up with a big zero for the final conclusion of why you do what you do. In Christ. One of the great blessings I've found is when I made Jesus Christ acknowledge Him as my Lord and Savior, I finally had purpose in my life. Finally had direction. Jesus brings that when the word become flesh grace upon grace the grace of the law brings the grace of jesus christ and when you get jesus christ you get more grace and part of that grace is purpose and rationale for your life another simple one you have an answer for guilt you have an answer for guilt whether it's imaginary guilt real guilt Self-guilt, others provoke guilt. Let me ask you the simple question. Raise your hand if you ever felt guilty in your life. Isn't it amazing? When you feel guilty, you feel like you're the only one. Isn't it baffling? You feel like you are worse than everyone else, and that's part of the effect of guilt. Isolation. We all... Everyone who walks this earth, save Jesus Christ, knows guilt. But the question is, is how do you answer guilt? Judas tried to hang himself for his guilt. The priest that sold the money or bought and bribed Judas from the information they had the money back and they tried to do something good with that money that was used to kill Jesus. And sometimes our, our answer for guilt is, well, let me do something good and maybe it'll undo the bad that I feel in my life. Why is it important for the word to become flesh so that flesh could die and represent all flesh and satisfying God's wrath upon flesh for the sin and guilt of our life? The answer of Jesus, the gift of Jesus, is that there is a solution for guilt. This sermon could have no end. When we talk about the benefits, grace upon grace. And you see, Christ's work in your life is going to bring out unique gifts and grace upon grace. I am convinced that one of the reasons why heaven is eternity is because it is an eternity of gratitude, of realizing the grace upon grace that God had bestowed on us in our short 
20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 years of our life here will take an eternity to expound and thank God for all that God has done in that brief time span. Eternity squeezed into time. And we realize a little bit of it and we get to go to eternity to really flesh out what God has done in our temporal lives. And that's why I say this type of message has no end. If you guys lived another day, it is another opportunity for God's grace to be given to you that flows out of Jesus. And so when you go to bed tonight and you look back and see, you know, this was a graceful thing that God did in my life. Whether I got to be with a friend, I got to hear the word, I got to sing, I had an opportunity to to influence someone I I received from God, that flowed out of Jesus. And you go to bed and you lay your head down to sleep. And that too is another grace upon the grace that flows out of Jesus. But listen, if you do not have that first miracle, the Word becoming flesh and dwelling in you, then instead of grace upon grace, there is judgment upon judgment. Because when you lay your head down tonight, you have experienced or heard about the grace of Jesus Christ. You know about Christmas. You know what God has done. You have received from God today, whether you knew about it or did not know it, but you did not stop to praise God, to regard Him for who He is, and you went to bed that night with another day, not acknowledging Jesus as God, day upon day upon day, when it's all said and done, instead of being grace upon grace, it has been judgment upon judgment. And all has to do with Jesus. Jesus is your rationale. If you're coming this morning or you have a tendency to say, you know, I'm going to go to God when I'm in trouble. It reveals that Jesus isn't your rationale. He's not your goal. He is a helper to your rationale, to your goal, but you have forsaken Jesus as your rationale. Perhaps maybe you're coming to God because you're getting nervous. Because life is coming to a close and you realize that there is a punishment in hell. And if you're coming just because you're nervous, reveals that Jesus is not your rationale. Your comfort. See, you go to Jesus not just for the benefits. You go to Jesus Because you see that in Jesus, He is the fullness of a God. He is the fullness of grace and truth. He is the great I am in flesh. And He is glorious. And there is nothing else, no one else like Him. And you want to worship Him for who He is. And from that comes blessing upon blessing. So let me ask you. John had received of this fullness. Have you received of this fullness? I'm going to invite you, just respond to God. Acknowledge your sin. He has not been your rationale. He's not been your goal, your word. Acknowledge that He died for you, for your sins. You believe it. You believe this first miracle, the world became flesh. So resurrection was not a big deal.
for him to do. You believe that. And you want to make him your king, your Lord. Let's bow in prayer.